Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning in the Gospel lesson, Jesus asks Simon Peter a pretty important question. What's the question? Who am I? But I think he was really asking Peter a deeper question. He was asking Peter, who are you? Who do you say that you are? I think that's clearer in Matthew's version of the story, because there when Peter replies, you are the Christ, Jesus immediately says, and you're Peter. But I think this other question is implied here as well. Peter is a disciple a follower of Jesus. And when Jesus asks, who do you say I am? The other question is implied. Who do you say you are? You who have left everything to follow me, you who have tied your life to mine so completely, who are you, Simon Peter? Who are you, Richard Johnson? Who are you, member of Emmanuel? Who are you? Let me flesh this out a bit by calling your attention to some things in this story. Jesus tells the disciples that he's on his way to Jerusalem where he will suffer, face rejection, and taste death. And then Peter says, Peter, Mark says, took Jesus aside and began to what? Rebuke him. And then turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Now, I want you to notice that the words Mark uses here are quite deliberate. They're not always quite so evident in uh, the English translation. When he says that Peter took Jesus aside, the Greek word there is actually the word that you would use if your child were acting up in public and you took him aside, you know, kind of into the corner to correct him, to teach him, to admonish him, whatever it is you do to your child in that corner. But the implication is that Peter thinks that Jesus has it wrong. And so he's going to set him straight. Well, what do you think about that? I don't know about you, but I think it's kind of familiar. I mean, I have days when I think God's going about things in the wrong way. I have plenty of days when I imagine I could probably do it better if I were God. I'm pretty sure that I know better than God. I'm convinced that God doesn't quite see the full picture. So Peter's telling Jesus this makes perfect sense to me. But then what does Jesus say in response? What does he say? 
Get behind me, Satan. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. You know, I suspect often when we hear this passage or read this passage, we get hung up on the word Satan. We wonder why Jesus would call Peter that offensive word. That's a really interesting question, and it's one I'm going to ignore entirely because I want to focus on the rest of the sentence. Get behind me, Jesus says. Then in the very next verse, he tells the disciples to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, here's the secret that's hidden behind this problematic English translation. In the Greek, the phrase, follow me, is exactly the same as get behind me. Those are exactly the same words in Greek. So when Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, he's in effect saying, follow me. Those first words that he ever spoke to Peter. He's saying, Peter, remember, your job is to follow me. I'm the teacher here. I'm the leader. I make the decisions. I call the shots. You don't. Your job is to follow. Now, I said that Jesus' question is really more like, who do you say you are? Who am I? And here's part of the answer. I'm not the person who's in charge. I'm the follower. And when I set my mind on human things, I really like to be in charge, you know. If I were really in charge of the world or our country or the church, I could have everything put together perfectly in no time at all. But I'm not in charge, Jesus says. I'm the follower. He says I need to get behind him and let him be in charge. Oh, I know you're thinking that sounds good in theory, but what does it mean in real life? Well, sorry to say, Jesus is really clear about that. It means this. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So let's start with deny themselves. What does it mean to deny oneself? Well, let's first say it does not mean to become an ascetic, to go out into the desert and live on bread and water. And I have to say, I've preached a lot of sermons in my day on materialism, sermons that highlight the need for us as Christ's people to be aware of our consumption habits and so forth. You know, one day I saw big shiny new Cadillac zipping along the freeway and it had one of those personalized license plates that said Mr. Gospel and I almost had to pull over I was laughing so hard what an incongruity Mr. Gospel in a high priced luxury car but I'd have to say that when Jesus says deny yourself I don't think he's talking primarily about materialism As New Testament scholar Lamar Williamson has said, the self can ride as comfortably on a bicycle as in a limousine. The self can ride as comfortably on a bicycle as on a limousine. So denying yourself means something deeper than just depriving yourself of certain luxuries. 
It also does not mean self-hatred or self-rejection, and that's important for us to understand. In Chaim Potok's novel, The Promise, young Michael is a 16-year-old boy who is deeply disturbed, and as the story unfolds, it becomes apparent that what his problem is that he has an absolute inability to express his feelings, and particularly his anger toward his parents because he's been taught that good children never get angry at their parents. And so he's stuffed his feelings for all of his 16 years, and it's driving him crazy because it means hating himself. It means rejecting his own emotions. And that's not what Jesus wants. So what does he mean, then? Deny yourself. Well, think about it this way. In this world, there are lots of people and lots of forces that want to define who we are. People around us who have expectations and demands. You you mustn't do this. You should do that. Our culture tells us how we must dress, even where we should buy our clothes. The media insists that our values ought to be such and such and not so and so. Perhaps most insidiously, we come up with our own ideas about what we like and what we enjoy and what makes us happy, and then we're quick to insist that those things are what define us. Those are the things that that must define us. I think what Jesus asks is that we look elsewhere for our self-definition. He asks us to deny the self that the world tries to define for us, that we deny the self that we sometimes try to define for ourselves. And maybe that word deny might be translated as just say no. Just say no to the self the world tries to impose on you. Instead, follow Jesus. Get behind him. Walk behind him. Do what he instructs. Walk in his way, because in doing that, he says, you'll be discovering your true self, not the self the world defines for you, not the self you try to define for yourself, but the self that God created you to be. You will be losing your life in terms of the world, but saving your life in terms of God. Lois and I just got back from Rochester, New York this week, where we celebrated the birth of our brand-new granddaughter last Saturday, Grace Victoria. She's a miracle child in so many ways. Well, all children are miracles, of course. But our daughter, Johanna, has been through three bouts with cancer in her 32 years. And with all of her treatments and surgeries and so forth, we weren't even sure she would ever be able to have a child. And when she brought that little bundle of joy home from the hospital, she said, I can't believe she's mine. I've held so many babies, but this one's mine. And I understand that. Every parent understands that feeling. And yet, you know, it's not precisely correct. A month from today, we'll be back in Rochester, and I'll have the great joy of baptizing this precious miracle child. And part of that liturgy will involve tracing the sign of the cross on little Grace's forehead. When I've spoken with parents whose child was about to be baptized, I've usually explained that this is kind of 
like a cattle brand. It's an indelible mark that indicates to whom this critter belongs. This critter belongs not to the new parents, not even to herself. This one belongs to Jesus Christ. And you, in your baptism, were marked with the cross of Christ, branded with the cross of Christ. You belong to him. One of the great documents of the Reformation era is the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written by German Reformed Protestants in 1563. And it begins with a question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer to that question is one of my favorite lines in the whole history of Christian literature. It is this, that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You belong to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, your real self, your real identity, the answer to the question, who am I? All of that lies in being the person that he calls you to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor who was martyred in Nazi Germany, sat in a prison cell just a short time before his execution, and he wrote a moving poem entitled, Who Am I? In that poem, he discussed what his fellow prisoners said about him, how he's invariably cheerful and calm and courageous, and then he said that he knew only too well that deep down inside he was afraid and full of doubt and despair. But then he concludes with these words, Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. But whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. And that, you see, is finally the bottom line. Amidst all our confusion, all our stumbling, all our pride, the real truth is that we are Christ's, that we belong to Christ. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves, says the psalmist. And, and St. Paul joins the refrain, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. So when Jesus asks Simon Peter that powerful question, who do you say that I am? He might as well be asking, and who do you say that you are, who, who are you? And that's the question we spend our lives answering, the question that is in our heart, even as we confess Christ as Lord. And the only real answer to that question, who are you, the only answer is Bonhoeffer's. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.